I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is DTC Growth Hacking with Rob McGray. Brought to you by Field Test. Advertising Simplified. My name is Rob McRae, and this is DTC Growth Hacking, How to Sell Stuff Online, a podcast created by and for companies looking to share their stories and discuss the techniques they've used to build great online communities and relationships with their customers. In this episode, we're speaking with my good friend and colleague, Peter Luttrell, who is the CEO and co-founder of Field Test. Hey, Peter. Hey, Rob. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So Field Test, um, and for those of you who are not familiar with the brand, uh, the way I explain Field Test to a lot of the people that I know is that this is a group of of industry folks that have been around um, pretty much for the entire history of the of the internet as we know it today, and really um, helped you know figure out ways. Uh, to essentially turn it into a business. So we could say that was monetization. We could say it was advertising, but how to take the technology and turn it into something profitable and useful for brands and, and customers alike. Is that, is that fair, Peter? Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we're old. We've been around for a long time. Um, the, the group of us that founded and a lot of, uh, a lot of the employees now, um, we've worked together for some of us, uh, well over a decade. Um, and we've started, uh, built out and sold a couple different companies along the way, mostly on the infrastructure and, uh, media side. And so that means, you know, online advertising, uh, not just selling ads, but kind of building the nuts and bolts and figuring out in those early days, what did that business look like? How does it work? Um, and when we started field test, we were taking all of our learnings from previous companies, kind of a new thesis about what we wanted to do. And we set out to build this tool set that became field test. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I when, when I think about it, I, I can't remember a company that I've been a part of that hasn't um, partnered with you guys in some in some way, shape, or form, and it goes back. You know, we've been lucky. We've been lucky to work together back. on a lot of projects. Yeah, but I yeah. think uh, if you came up in the internet industry in Los Angeles, it was a little like working, you know, in the internet industry in Kentucky. I mean, we were really, even though we're so close to Silicon Valley, it wasn't until maybe a decade, a decade and a half ago that we actually had a public company in the internet space that was here. Um, so it was a smaller industry then. And I think, um, you know, out of, there were maybe, a, you know, dozens, hundred people in the industry yeah, here yeah. in those early days. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, and there's, there's good, there's good things about that, right? Is I, I think a lot of us were able to explore new ideas and concepts and, you know, and, and essentially mess around with, with trying to figure out what this was going to be. And, yeah, and some of the I mean, stuff really stuck. You know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there's a, uh, it sort of built on a mountain of failure. But uh, uh, a lot of the fundamentals of what became the Internet, and, and though it's scaled far beyond what any of us uh, would have thought it would have, uh, 
were born in those early days. I feel like a lot of those concepts kind of came up early on. There are a lot of other things we tried, but those early concepts have carried through and they're really the tenets of the, uh, of the modern t- uh, internet today. Peter, when do you think that, that folks really started to take seriously the idea that, that you could um, not only make money with the internet, and, and I don't mean to say that like a get-rich scheme, but you know where people realize that, that they could um, use the internet in a different way to, to communicate and, and, and with their customers or find customers. And, and think, how did that all kind of happen? I feel like there are two types of people who first experienced the internet. The first group were creatives and technologists who saw it as this great democratizing force. We we're going to build all this creative uh, projects and we were going to share information with people and really flatten the world from an information standpoint, creative standpoint. And there was another group of people that saw the internet as the greatest marketing tool of all time. <laughs> yeah. In the early days, that dot-com one boom was all of us creatives, like kind of pouring all of our ambitions into the internet in kind of this er irrational exuberance, right? Where everybody got too excited and we were a little early. And the real growth of the internet came after that first failure. And it was, you know, Google came on the scene and I think showed us how search could be done, not by humans picking the best search results, which is kind of how Yahoo worked, which was the precursor, um, but how algorithms could be and data could drive a better experience. And then, of course, when they went public and began revealing their revenue around their advertising product, I think people started to really take the internet seriously. Right. So that the Google is really the, I think, the second mover who drove this whole wave that's the next 20 years of the internet. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, I mean... I think the, the, the thing that's been fascinating is to see the effects that the advancements in, in, in technology itself, whether that's bandwidth or processing power, what effect that's had on, you know, not only, you know, to your point, the, the creative part of the industry, which is the, the content creation and, and the website design and UI, UX, et cetera, et cetera, sure. but also like the business side. Right. And, um, you know, and it feels to me and, and we've had this conversation that that we're kind of at this point where the the power that's available to everybody um, is is mind blowing, especially yeah. if like you're a brand. We're, yeah, we're, we're at an interesting inflection point because I think, you know, the just like the Industrial Revolution had these early movers who became huge titans and their technology decisions or the way their business fell out kind of dictated how everything worked, whether it was like, you know, alternating current versus direct current and, you know, all these huge battles that happened. We're kind of coming up at the end of that first uh, epoch of the information revolution. And a lot of the tools that were built have scaled and aged out. And a lot of the opportunities with new tools now are based on the limitations that existed early on with these tools. So, um, you know, you look at something like Google, who just dominates online advertising, and a lot of their technology, though they're updated all the time, certainly, is based on a product that they purchased 20 years ago, DoubleClick. And that product has all the limitations of the internet of 20 years ago. So, slower uh, slower, you know, the, the folks browsing the internet were using slower devices. The speed of the internet was slower. The processing power slow was slower. The servers were so much more expensive, and that's changed so dramatically now. And I think it's given this opportunity for companies like Field Test to move in and bring new kind of spry tools um, that take advantage of, of of the faster, cheaper processing power and yeah. some of the new learnings, and they can kind of do a runaround and flank. Uh, some of these um, huge, massive 
products that are kind of, you know, sort of dinosaurs. They move slow. They're huge. They're really powerful, but uh, not known for their, um, you know, uh, new technical uh, advancements and innovation. Right. And, and Peter, field test, um, you guys are building a lot of tools. I know that. It's a self-serve platform. Um, yeah, the simple, can, then you guys can go deeper if you want with, with folks who want to get involved. You know, Yeah, the simple way that, to think about field tests is we're building a – we've built a self-serve platform that – looks and works like Facebook Boost, which is like one of the most popular, one of the easiest retail um, advertising marketing products for a brand to use. But it works on the open internet, which is like all the devices um, and all the sites, uh, which is a much larger kind of wholesale marketplace um, that's more powerful, but until now has really been locked off to really large agencies and had a lot of middlemen between it. So, you know, our, our idea, our thesis was let's take these all this demand side infrastructure and make it really simple to use and put it in a GUI and an interface that people are familiar with and give them all the tools that they're familiar with, but plug it in on the back end to this big, huge, massive professional wholesale um, uh, marketing uh, exchange. Do you do you think people are aware that that a product like this exists? Because a lot of people that I talk to are still spending uh, the majority of their spend is on is on these closed platforms. It's in social media. It's not. They don't really. I, I feel like they don't really know. Yeah, I think I think there are people in the know. Large brands, large agencies have been using these what are called like programmatic display pipes for a long time. Um, and the reason why you know consumer brands and small businesses and midsize businesses haven't really access them is that there's a minimum spend on these platforms and there's a pretty steep learning curve. So, you know, a company usually needs a couple full-time employees who understand how to trade on these platforms and they need to commit, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars a year of spend on this, on these platforms. And that's a really hard leap for brands to make. Um, and I think you have that up against the fact that we're having this revolution in direct to consumer brands, all this technology has become really democratized and accessible for small businesses. And what's available to them is this easy to use consumer uh, platform like Facebook or Google. Um, and yeah. so they become really used to it. So I find in our business, we, we, we meet both people, folks who are really familiar with display at, at a scale level and understand what we're doing um, and, and try to kind of fit it into, into their uh, legacy uh, baggage. And then there's a lot of folks who just aren't even aware that this is possible yet. And those are really where we're conquesting and finding new, 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 happy, joyful consumers. Yeah. What are, you know, I, if, if we were to say if the big, the big key differences between, um, a closed platform with a, you know, um, with a limited audience and versus say the, the open internet and, and, I like this term, but I don't know if everybody knows what that really means and what the big difference is. Because we might equate it with like, okay, proprietary software and open source. And it's it, there are some similarities, but it's not exactly yeah, the same I thing. Think, I think we have for the first time on the internet, these huge platforms that folks have, um, for, where, where, where many folks are their first and only experience with the internet is on something like Facebook. And Facebook, while it's huge and massive and scaled, is a closed platform. And that means that when you're using that platform, you're playing by Facebook's rules. And the purpose of that platform is to generate dollars from their users by selling them advertising. Um, 
that means if you're a brand, um, you're playing in a closed system where all the pricing is set by the house. So it's kind of like gambling. Um, uh, you know, uh, it, you're, you, it, it, the, the house is going to win every time. They can kind of control the success or failure of their platform in a way that the uh, or, or by contrast, the open web can't do. And the open internet, it's a totally open, transmer- transparent system of of publishers. These are folks with websites or television channels and in between exchanges. And these exchanges buy and sell all the advertising, um, all the media space on those sites in kind of real time on exchanges. And because it's an open system, kind of like a stock exchange, um, and it's exposed, everybody can see the pricing mechanisms, it's more fair and more efficient. So the closed system, like uh, Facebook, easy to use, but it's going to have a higher cost basis. Um, mm-hmm. and you're going to have, um, it's going to be more, um, opaque and these open systems are you know, much more transparent with a much lower cost basis. Yeah. One of, one of the things that, that I think might, might help, um, folks listening who are not, uh, as, as knee deep in this as we are is, you know, a, an immediate reaction when I talk about this is people ask me, well, what sites are my ads going to show up on? Sure. Right. And, and I think that th- that's tough to, to break away from that, that way of thinking about it. And, and how, do you, how do you deal with, with that question? Well, if you're back up sort of late from a legacy standpoint, if you're buying advertising somewhere and let's say it's legacy media like magazines or television stations, you're going to choose the magazines and the newspapers and the television channels that you run your ads on based on the audience that uses them. So you're trying to target people and you're using the context, the publisher, as a proxy for a demographic or a psychographic or, or, or an interest. Um, so in the modern internet, we're able to, and in the open internet, we're able to target audience, people, and we're less concerned with the context and where you're running the site, um, you know, exclusive of like content adjacency issues or making sure that you're on, you know, premium publishers. So what I always tell people is, you know, the advertisements on field tests run on all the websites you go to and the people we're going to be targeting, uh, we're going to be targeting people, not context. So we're looking to follow a particular consumer through their experience on the day on the internet and not really uh, run an ad adjacent to a particular publisher. Though we can do that, that's not really the point and that's not really where you're going to find efficiency uh, on the open internet. Right. So it sounds like stop focusing on where, start focusing on who. That's right. right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. The the open, like f- f- what field test really makes use of and what makes it efficient for our clients is um, we take the first party data of our clients. So that's the folks that come to the their website, the folks that purchase on their site, uh, the activity on that site. And we use that to target new users who might not know about their product yet, um, but look just like the users who are already using their product, already buying from them. Um, and that data is really much more important than the context. So the, 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 the legacy way of buying media around publisher sites is really your best guess is that um, oh, I'm targeting stockbrokers. I should be in the Wall Street Journal. I'm targeting uh, fly fishermen. I should be in outdoor living. I'm targeting you know mothers. I should be in parenting magazine. That's great, and there is some crossover there. Um, but it's much better to target people who um, 
you know, to target actual mothers because you know that they're mothers or actual right. fly fishermen because you know that they've purchased fly uh, fishing equipment before. Um, so, so, so it's basically, you know, data-based versus assumption-based. That's right. That's right. right. And assumptions I mean, are still a big part of the yeah. game, but the data is going to tell you where users are. You know, we have lots of clients who come to us with really great assumptions around the personas of their buyers, and they're usually pretty right. But what's interesting is after a month or two, we can uh, look at the data together and see who, who who else is their buyers that they weren't aware of or where they're finding uh, folks that are interested in their product and purchasing it that they would never expected to, um, which can be really interesting and illuminating and, and help uh, the their next set of assumptions be smarter. Right. So, so you know, part of the process is you know, of readying yourself for direct to consumer, which is the name of the podcast is, is really starting to understand the relationship between your customer and essentially the, the content that you're putting out there as advertising and moving away from the belief that it's about where it sits and it's more about who consumes it. And then who, and I'm, I'm trying to play back what you just said is that who else is like this person who is, you know, that I'm reaching, that's having a good reaction, that's showing interest. Right. Um, and, and the thing that, you know, I, I've never, I've never um, moved away from this idea that, you know, in a, in a business or company customer relationship, like finding those people who are interested in, in your product is a good thing and, and a necessary thing. Right. Like like the business doesn't scale if nobody knows about it. Right. And, and I've never been as a customer upset to find out about something that I want. Right. No. Like, no. like it's always like, oh, wow. And and I and, and I and again, I'm equating. You're talking, about, of, you're talking about like retargeting ads here. Yeah. Kind of when, but, you know, the. And it's such an old school thing because, you know, and you and I have similar tastes, but I remember like we've gone back and forth for years where you have something cool and then I have to go get it. Sure. Or I have to, you know, and it's like, well, where did you get that? And and I think of like the lookalike is very much that, but it's figured out that the hey, here's Peter and here's Rob. A, These two a, people have similar taste. That's a great way of connecting together. You know, word of mouth, someone recommending uh, a product to you or showing you a product and you having some envy about it and going out and buying and wanting it is probably the most powerful signal you can send yeah. uh, to to drive a consumer to purchase something. Um, the data that we have access to now is similar to that because you're finding folks, maybe, uh, you know, you and I have created, you know, you and I have had a friendship that's been built up over years and we have very similar tastes and that's, you know, uh, been part of why we've uh, continued to be friends. But there are probably a lot of other Rob and Peters, people like us who are mm-hmm. interested in similar stuff. And when we're using the internet, we're clicking on certain sites, we're reading about certain products and the whole time that's happening, data is being gathered about us. And what we can do at field test is take the, 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 the data that we've gathered about your particular product for a brand and compare it to all this data that's been gathered uh, uh, of billions of users and find folks out of that, out of that, uh, noise that match and look like Peters and Rob's people that have an affinity for your product. And that's in the simplest form is just what you're doing when you're doing a lookalike audience, or you're trying to find a matching audience of folks that may have a propensity um, to do the same thing that the folks that already came to your website did. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Yeah. How long does it usually take to, to make those connections? Because we talked a little bit about, you know, in a closed environment, being able to, you know, it kind of accelerates the process because they have a lot of this information already. But on the open web, are, are we talking about like a, a longer ramp up time? You have to find those Peters before you go find, you know, the, the Robs. Like how long does that usually take for yeah. a, a, a client or a customer? Let's break it in a few pieces. So uh, it, it depends first on your scale. If you're a company that's already up and running and you're selling at a regular basis, the amount of data you're generating on any given day and every, any given week and any given month is a lot greater than, say, a brand that is just starting and hasn't yet found its footing and discovered who its, users, who its uh, buyers are. So if a brand comes to us and they have uh, a, a pretty good data stream, we can start making pretty informed data-driven media buying decisions within days. Um, wow. If a brand's just starting out, you know, it might take a lot, it might, it might take 30 to 90 days to gather enough data um, that you have statistically relevant amount of data. Um, and so if you're, if you if you're only selling two or three products a week, it might take 90 days. If you're selling, you know, tens, it's going to take a shorter amount. And if you're selling thousands, it's going to go much quicker. Conversely on the, on the closed web, a product like Facebook, um, can you've done a lot of hard work already for Facebook's ad buying uh, algorithm by liking, following, getting followers, getting likes, publishing content that's rich with all this data and keywords. Um, so on a platform like Facebook, for instance, you can usually find users much quicker, um, but that's a double-edged sword. 
Um, so for uh, a product like ours, like Field Test, um, we're going to grow a data audience over time. And that data audience is going to become more and more efficient as time goes on, as we gather more data about purchasers and we add more new users into the into that data bucket. And we continue to follow their path, their journey through um learning about your product to buying your product, we're going to become more and more efficient. A product like Facebook often starts very, very efficient because they have this small group of folks that you've already targeted by tagging and, and liking and, and building affinity with. And they'll target those people with your ads. They'll work really quickly. But then they're left with a really hard uphill battle of building awareness and finding new people on Facebook who don't know about yeah. your product. Um, and I think this is why... Um, we get a lot of uh, a lot of our clients come from Facebook. Um, they're they're, they're, they're uh, like Facebook survivors who have had some success on Facebook. Um, and not that it's a bad product, but this is a really typical scenario. They've started spending very small amounts on Facebook, maybe five, ten dollars a day, right? And they've seen some efficiency, and now they're ready that they're selling to start to scale that spend. And so they start to spend more, $50, $100, $200 a day. And they see the efficiency, meaning the performance of those ads, start to de decrease um, really quickly. And they get frustrated because they feel like, I'm putting more money in the machine. Why is the machine not returning more money back to me? Um, and they often then start the process of trying to find uh, folks that can help them, and they end up on our doorstep. Um, and one of the things we tell them is, you know, you're, you, you, you need to find new people to build affinity with. And if you're not out running your Facebook page all day long and you have a team of people going and liking new people and following and kind of building a big social influence, um, Facebook's going to have to do that with paid advertising. And if we return to the beginning part of the conversation, it's going to be more expensive yeah. and uh, less efficient than on the open web. Yeah. Peter, on the open web, um, and specifically, let's, let's say uh, a client engages with you um, and, and, you know, their, their budget, they ask, well, you know, you told me I'm a brand new brand. We're talking about maybe 30 to 90 days. What influence does my budget size have on that? Can I, can I decrease that amount with more money? Like how does that, how does that it's, work? Your budget is going to be directly related to the amount of data you get back and the performance of your campaign is going to be uh, linked to that data. Um, especially if there's work to be done around, you know, the sort of three pillars of your campaign. So, um, you know, budget, small budgets work. You're just going to take a lot more time. Big budgets mm -hmm. are going to be less efficient, but it's going to decrease the amount of time to get to those really strong signals from, uh, from the data. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always, you know, I've done, I've done both, right. I've done some, um, buys on, on Facebook and, a significant number um, back in the Disney days, but also, you know, spend some time buying off of Facebook on the open web. And it's, it's a much different experience, right? Yeah, um, it, it's much more complex. And it's a lot harder to um, learn and understand. This is a lot of what we've done at Fieldtest is try to simplify that process and make it familiar to media buyers that have traditionally been buying on on uh, these closed platforms, these walled gardens. Uh, yeah. There's, a, there's, there's a lot more moving parts. You're not just advertising on Facebook and you're not just picking some interests. You need to be thoughtful about kind of your entire uh, campaign. You need to be more holistic. So you need to be thinking about the creative you're running. That's the actual ad. What does it say? What's the copy? What's the imagery in it? What's the call to action? Is it appropriate for uh, your purpose? So if you're 
average, if you're just starting out and you're trying to bring in new people who don't know about your product, you're going to have one kind of message and it's going to be a less specific message. As you start to retarget people, meaning you're running ads against people who have already either seen an ad of yours before, clicked on an ad of yours before, gone to your website, your messaging is going to change and be appropriate for that stage of the process. Um, what happened, what, who you target and what targeting you're using. So whether you're using third-party targeting, uh, field test has 90 different uh, vendors built into it. And so there are hundreds of thousands of third-party targeting segments. So let's say you're, um, you know, you, you want to target folks who've um, been to a uh, uh, an automobile, uh, people that are in market to buy a car, we can find you folks that have uh, gone and searched on a car uh, uh, sales aggregation site within the last 15 days. They're in market. You know they're looking for a car right, right now. That's a third-party targeting segment. Um, all the way down to first-party targeting segments, which mean folks who've been to your website the last three days or folks that look like uh, yeah. the folks that have been to your website the last three days. That targeting and how you... Um, how you use that targeting for which stage of, of your marketing plan you're in is going to matter. And then, of course, your landing page itself is going to have a huge um, uh, effect on performance post-click. So you yeah. want to make sure that you've got that right message and you're messaging it to that right targeting list, the right kind of people. Um, and when they click through, you're capturing them and you're delivering to them a message on your page that kind of matches the intent of what they thought they were clicking on when they when they clicked or tapped on the message in your creative. And you're going to want to tune all those things. That's a little bit different than what you do on Facebook, um, where you're kind of driving folks to a Facebook post or, you know, to, to something offline. It's it's there, there are more moving parts and understanding those and trying to read the signals from them is what field test us. That's our job is to try to make that make sense to buyers and um, give them the right information to make their next step in uh, in their media plan. As you talk about this, um, I had a thought, which, you know, the uh, it's a given that that to really have a, you know, a great uh, DTC company brand, you have to spend time on, on grooming what that brand looks like and feels like. And that's what you're talking about with, with the message, right? right? How does that message resonate? And I, and I think the way that you describe um, these closed platforms is that they're great for creating awareness around that message. But what they might not be so good at is actually um, creating that audience that is actually going to be um, more apt to become a real customer. Well, yeah, it's the, when the rubber meets the road is when you start thinking about customer acquisition, right? You, you, your job as a brand is you, get, you, you have to create this great product to start with and then this great story about it and have great service and a great sales experience. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, you're going to have to acquire customers and you're going to be the, the performance of acquire, acquiring those customers is going to be weighed by the cost of it. And yeah. what Facebook is really good at is sending a lot of soft signals uh, around success that aren't necessarily tied to your customer acquisition costs, which is going to be the most important thing at some point. Um, and, and that can be distracting for brands as they're as they're chasing likes and follows and followers um, and views. And that stuff's important, but it's really upper funnel. It's really awareness. Um, yeah. What our job is to 
to try to tie that real business metric, like your customer acquisition cost, your CAC, right back to what you're doing and the decisions you're making around your media buy. And I think when you start to look at it that way, uh, you get you get more serious. You know, the spreadsheets get taken out yeah. and you really start to um, think about the money you're spending and what uh, what the effect of it's going to be. And, and, and I think Facebook and a lot of these platforms with the, the, those tools exist are built to really uh, obfuscate that that stuff and, and focus on some of the softer metrics. Yeah. Peter, who are, who are some brands that you're seeing who are, who are really killing it on the open web? Like, and, and granted everybody's on Facebook, so we'll assume that there's something going on, but, but open web, like who's, who's really taken a lot of these techniques and, and putting them in practice and, and seeing the great results from it. I mean, I think if you look at the whole category of DTC disruptors, this is the sort of class of companies that came online in the last decade, like Dollar Shave Club and Casper Mattress and Brooklyn and all these folks. They've done a really, really good job of harnessing the open web tools. And, and not that they're not on social, but really harnessing those tools to drive um, fast, fast customer acquisition at very, very low costs. Um, and part of the way they did that is because they had buying power, they spent a lot of money and they brought in those full-time employees that understood these exchanges. They, they, they just jumped right over using the, the, the entry-level consumer tools and went straight in, into the programmatic display ecosystem where they could drive real efficiency at scale. Um, so that whole class of folks has done really well. Um, and I think they kind of, uh, they, they, uh, blaze the trail that you have this just stampede of smaller brands now, uh, you know, competing in, and this is a, this is a time where we have a real Renaissance for, um, e-commerce and direct to consumer, uh, brands. And I think the pandemic has only just accelerated, you know, yeah. at a fantastic pace that, um, so, I mean, we see, you know, smaller brands, um, on uh, field test killing it, like people like four Sigmatic or Sunday scaries. And, um, these are like supplemental brands who are just, they've got the right message. They really understand the tools. Um, they're really excited when they discover us because they've been, they, they, they they've, they, they're, their spend level hasn't kind of uh, hasn't justified for them, you know, going into the wholesale market and buying these tools. Um, and so the fact that we've taken these really complex tools and made them simple and familiar, they immediately get it uh, and they just start killing it on our platform. Yeah. And what do you think the, uh, you know, like, let's say let's say uh, I'm, a, I'm a young brand and and I'm ready to, to dive in. Um, what kind of personnel do I need to have on staff? Like, what what are the resources that I need uh, <laughs> in, know, in addition see, to budget? We we have clients that are are single person shops, um, all the way up to major brands um, with you know uh, uh, unicorn like valuations. Um, what you need at a minimum is uh, an interested party that is willing to learn the basic fundamentals of how to run an advertising campaign and read the signals from it. Um, and even if you don't have that yet, we've done a ton of work around creating the educational materials and the training to help our clients do that and kind of hand uh, and hold their hand with them. So, um, field test self-service platform. We have folks who sign up, like I talked about four Sigmatic. I mean, these people just, 
sign up, they start using the product right away, they get it and they're spending money and they're off and running and they need very little handholding, all the way to folks that are using, you know, our um, white glove services where we're helping them and kind of stepping in to make these decisions for them and being more prescriptive and strategic, um, sort of everything below kind of agency level. Last question for you, Peter. How do you how do you recommend that companies uh, evaluate their success online? I mean, how, how does somebody know that they're actually building a, a great DTC brand, and and you know even more than that, a great DTC brand for the long haul? Uh, well, I mean, I think um, you have to constantly evaluate your success. Of course, sales is your key indicator that you're doing well. Um, But like anything, you know, the the macro situation is going to change. There's going to be new tools, new channels. Your product mix is going to change. You're going to saturate audiences at some point. So I think the best way to evaluate it is create really clear expectations internally and then continue to reach and surpass those goals. And if you're not doing that, then you know you're doing something wrong and you need to change uh, your strategy. Yeah. You know the story that comes, what is it, the... um um, Malcolm Gladwell book. It talks a lot about the becoming a master. And what is it? The Beatles. The Beatles go to Germany and they they for all those years they're playing. Like that, and, yeah, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. And I always think of like when we talk about this and you know how folks need to approach it is this idea that you're going to constantly be getting better and better and better, and and that has no end. Yeah, I always think about. Um, I'm a big fan of Guy Kawasaki and, you know, he was like the original, uh, like, uh, go out and preach good news about Apple guy. And he used to, he, I don't know where I heard this, but at some point I heard him talking and he said, you know, when, um, when at the end of the day at Apple was all about sales, because when the sales were down, you know, they were rudderless, they were described as, you know, over with and, um, you know, adrift. And when the sales were up, they were, you know, uh, innovators and market leaders. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, I mean, you're in business sales is the indicator that you're doing well, but of course so much more goes into that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What is it? The, uh, connection between the company's self-esteem and, and, and the, the, the sales of the product. Yeah. And, you are know, absolutely. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Interdependent. Um, well, thank you, Peter. This was, this was really, uh, this is an awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you. Um, this is fun. You know, hey, what's what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you and, and the team at Field Test to find out more or to yeah, have a conversation the, with you on their own? Just come to our website, fieldtest.la, um, and uh, fill out a form, talk with our chat bot, uh, contact us. We'd love, we'd love to hear from people. Awesome. And uh, listeners... Please, uh, if, if you like if you like this type of content, you find this stuff really interesting, as interesting as we do, uh, subscribe. We've got lots of podcasts coming out. We've got some incredible guests lined up for you. And if you happen to have a story or two to share, please reach out direct to us. Um, you can hit us at hi, that's H-I, hi, at dtcgrowthhacking.com. And everything else that you might need to know is in our show notes, um, so you can find us. And, and again, many thanks to our guest, Peter Luttrell, as well as the entire team at our sponsor, Field Test. My name is Rob McGray, and you've been listening to DTC, which is direct-to-consumer, growth hacking, how to sell stuff online. Thank you. This was a Field Test podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 